Guys, welcome again. If you came in late, we're glad to have you here. Um, if you want to grab your Bibles, uh, go ahead and do that. We are going to be, God, we're going to kind of be all over tonight. But if you want to get a head start, go to Matthew chapter 11. Okay, we're, we're going to be there, but we're going to take kind of a winding road to get there through uh, several other scriptures. But I want to hopefully uh, bring up a subject that we can all connect with, maybe commiserate with. And that is putting together furniture. All right, so putting together furniture is, um, for me, not a problem. I actually enjoy it. It's a challenge to see how quickly I can do it. Uh, and it's also a challenge to see how far I can get without using the instructions. Because I'm a man, and uh, it's hardwired in me to just say, you know what? I can do this. My brain is wired for Ikea furniture, right? Like, like that's, we, we, I, I kind of wake up that way. And, and I think anytime you buy some sort of particle board furniture, right, that comes with a bag with all kinds of screws and, and stickers and whatever, there's something in us, maybe not for all of us, but there's something in a lot of us that says, I can do this. I don't need instructions. Just give me the picture. Right? I just need the picture. Some of you know what I'm talking about because when you were a kid, this was you with Legos. Right? You just show me the box. I don't need the instructions. Just show me the box and I'll handle it. And what inevitably happens is maybe it's going pretty good, and, but you get to a point when you're like, wait, which length of screw do I use? Oh, no, because I don't want to put the wrong one in because it won't stay together. Right? Like, there's always a point when I get to... And putting together furniture when you're like, okay, it's time to open the instructions. Like, I want to I make sure I'm doing this right. Because it's crazy to think that someone out there, probably who had a hand in designing the actual furniture, might actually want me to be able to put it together well. That I might actually want to put it together and it will function the way it's supposed to function so that the next time I go buy furniture, I'll go back to the same store and buy more from them. Like they don't write instructions so that it'll just mess up your entire day. Sometimes we feel that way, right? But inevitably, like, it's this idea of, like, this, this self-reliance idea of, like, hey, I can do this. I'm, I'm a smart, college-educated person. I can put this together. Inevitably, we get to a point where we can't. But we do this in our lives as well. Right? We, we, we get into our life, whether that was in high school or college or our young adult years, and we say, you know what, I can do this. I've seen people do it before. I've, I can learn good, bad, and ugly. Right? If you're the youngest sibling, you know this. Like You, you learned what not to do. You, know, you learn vicariously through your siblings what you do not say to mom or what you do not say to dad. Right? You don't use that face. Right? Like We learn. And so we kind of walk into life with a little bit of like, I got this. But inevitably, what ends up happening is something doesn't line up. Something doesn't go the way we think it's going to go. I call it life humbles us, just like that Ikea furniture. Something doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go. It's not going as quickly as we think it should go. And it's not doing what I thought it would do. And so a lot of people that I meet with, find themselves back to the instruction manual, God's Word. Because it, wouldn't it be surprising to believe that there is a creator who puts you together, who wants you to thrive in life, 
And in fact, he's given us a book that says, hey, this is how it is to be done. And you will live life and life to the full. And so I share the story of Ikea furniture just to say, hey, we don't just do this with furniture. We do this with our lives. And on a grander scale, we see this in our world, right? A world that is broken trying to put itself back together. And we, we would probably do a lot if we just had a manual of, like, how do we put society back together in a way that is honoring and caring and humble and, you know, all the things. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to talk about this idea through the lens of the heart. Because this is our series, the, the anatomy of a Christian. And so what I thought is we, we, we could probably find the most complicated organ to talk about when it comes to putting the world back together, right? It's the heart. Just like instructions to an Ikea piece of furniture is complicated, the human heart is even exponentially more complicated. But the Bible, good thing, tells us a ton about the heart. And so tonight, we're going to dive into this. Um, the Bible is not quiet on the heart. This term heart is found over 1,000 times in Scripture. So needless to say, we're going to be here for a while tonight. Thank you, that was a joke. We're not going to hit all 1,000. Paige, I appreciate it. But we are going to dig into um, the heart. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 6 is a verse that in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites would have said every morning when they rose. And it's this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And that word heart in the original Hebrew text just means, it means, it doesn't just mean, it's very complicated. It, it, it means the inner man, the mind, the will, the heart, the soul, understanding. Like it's pretty simple. And when you look at scripture, you start seeing that, man, th this is not a simple thing. Scripture talks about the Bible in a ton of different ways. Let me read that list again. It's the inner man, the mind, the will, the soul, and understanding. So I thought for our purposes tonight, let me just give you a definition. I forgot to put this on the slide, so forgive me. But here's the definition that we're going to use for the heart. All right, I'll say it two times so that you can get it. The heart is that spiritual part of us where our thoughts, emotions, and desires dwell. The heart is that spiritual part of us where our thoughts, our emotions, and our desires dwell. That's how the Bible frames up this thing called the heart. I do have a slide for this. Scripture informs us that from the heart we feel grief. We feel desire. We feel joy. We have understanding. We have thoughts and reasoning. And most importantly, we have faith and belief. They're all products of the heart. You see, our heart is producing something. It's not just an organ that pumps blood through the body. It is producing something in our lives. In fact, Jesus in Luke 6 tells us that the heart is a repository for good and evil. And that what comes out of our mouth, good or bad, begins in the heart. It's the holding place for all these things. 
And so it is complicated. God has emotions and desires. In Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Right? He has thoughts. In Acts 13.22, King David is described as a man after God's own heart. It means God has desires and thoughts and emotions. So here's what I want to do tonight. It's going to be a little different. Typically, I'll give you like a one, two, three. Here's our three points. But tonight, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit different just for you note takers. All right, so you're not looking for numbers. All right, I'm not giving you numbers tonight. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a problem. And we're going to solve that problem. Because I believe that we all know there is a problem in our world. And so here's the problem. Let me just frame it, up, frame it this way. We live in a broken world trying to be fixed by broken people. That is our problem. We live in a broken world trying to be fixed by broken people. And right now we're living in maybe the greatest time of this being on display in my entire life. We see a world that is angry. We see a world that tells us it is us versus them. We see a world that is divisive. We see a world of deceit. We see a world of arrogance and accusations and aggression and arguing and shouting. It's too loud to even think straight. Because we have people who are broken, living in a broken world, trying to fix it. And so we live in this time. And so that's the problem, that we live in a broken world, trying to be fixed by broken people. So what does this have to do with the heart? Because I believe the heart, as Scripture tells us, is not only part of the problem, it is also part of the solution. So let's get there. The world says the problem is out there. All right, when we look at this problem, the anger, the, the, the fighting, the us versus them, the you're not listening to me, you don't understand me, you're doing it the wrong way, all these arguments, right, we live in a world where it's like, well, you need to change. You need to listen. You need to hear me. You need to do it that way. And so the world tells us that this problem of brokenness is out there. It's their problem. If they would just be better. If they would just listen. If they, if they, if they. What we end up doing is we've assumed that the problem is not with us, it's with them. If they would just listen to me. If they would just listen to us. And in doing so, we're just missing each other. Because we're so in, in, ingrained in this idea that you're the problem. All right, But the Bible says the problem is not that. In fact, Jesus says the problem is not out there, it's in here. The problem is not out there. It's in here. Now, yeah, in a roundabout way, guess what? It is out there because everyone else has a heart too. And this is, a hard, this is some hard teaching from Jesus that we're about to get. It's hard because we don't like it when someone puts a mirror up. And we have to look at ourselves. Like, If I'm honest, like one of the hardest things about COVID for me, uh, being quarantined in my house, um, 
with all of them. Um, true story. Like, uh, love you kids, but whew, um, it's a lot. But here's what I was faced with. COVID was a mirror for me. And I had to live with myself without the outlets that I normally have to get away, to be alone. And I was, COVID is a mirror. And I had to sink into this teaching that Jesus teaches us in Mark chapter 7. You see that sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden and broke everything. Not just people, but he broke our heart. We'll get to this in a minute, but the heart the Bible talks about is the wellspring of life. And wellspring means it's the source of life. Good, bad, or ugly. And when that's broken, everything is distorted. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, 22, and 23, says he went on, Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Because they were arguing about what's, what's uh, uh, unclean and clean food to eat um, as, as, as Israelites. He says, what comes out of the person is what defiles them, not what goes in. For it is from within Comes for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come: sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and defile a person. And guys, this flies in the face of our of our culture. Right? It flies in the face of what we're told all day long. And we'll get to that in a minute. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so when it comes to this problem, the world we live in says the problem's out there. It's not you. Jesus says, oh, no, it is you. It's called a broken and sinful nature. And that everything that comes within us, left by ourselves, will lead to Mark chapter 7 and what Jesus talks about. When I go through that list, man, it just, it reads a lot like modern day America. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, whether that's greed for power or for money, malice, deceit, fake news, lewdness, envy, I just want what everybody else wants, slander, arrogance and folly like we see the problem right in front of us every day on the news every day on your social media we see the problem we live in a broken world trying to be fixed by broken people and Jesus doesn't shy away from it he puts up a mirror he says yeah that's what sin does the heart is deceitful it's lying to us Above, it's, it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? You want the world's solution to this problem? So let's move to the solutions. The world says the problem's out there. Jesus says the problem's in here. The world says the solution is follow your heart. The world says follow your heart. Be a better you. If it's just you in a better situation, right? Go improve yourself. Like I looked on Audible today, typed in self-help, over 40,000 books came up. 40,000 books 
on self-help. Now, I am not anti-educating yourself. I think it's fantastic. My wife and I have bought several books over the last week we're reading. We want to be educated. I'm not saying don't educate yourself. But if the heart is broken, if Humpty Dumpty has fallen off the wall, and all the king's men cannot put Humpty Dumpty back together again, then why are we hoping that the government will fix us? Why are we thinking that the powers of this world will somehow make our heart all better? Galatians 5, 19 through 26, Paul writes, The acts of the flesh, the heart of man, the flesh, are obvious. Again, he goes through a list just like Jesus. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. That is what the flesh will produce. That's what the flesh will produce. But in 22, Paul turns a corner. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know what worldview you would like to chase after. I'll take list number two. Because the world that we live in is list number one. Hatred, discord, fits of rage, selfish ambition, factions, dissension, discord. Like that's, that, am I alone here? Like that's what's in front of us every day. Because we live in a broken world trying to be fixed by broken people. And so I hate to burst your bubble. But the solution to this problem is not within you. It is outside of you. You see, you see the flip here? The world says the problem is out there. Jesus says the problem is in here. The world says the solution is in here. But we know, and we're about to get to it, the solution is out there. And his name is Jesus. The great thing is he takes up residence in here. Before we get to the solution, I want to share a quick uh, story with you that it's just God's timing. Um, so I went home for lunch today, was working through this talk, and I try and step away from it when, when I, because the heart is it's very complicated. Um, I literally wrote three talks, um, and this is what came out. So I go home, and I go talk to my wife to check on the morning, and I hear out in the living room a crash. Not, it's just a crash. So, of course, my dad antenna goes up. I'm like, fantastic, conflict, here we go. Welcome home, Dad, right? Um, so I go out there, get the story. Uh, two of my sons were playing the game of life, ironically. And they had already begun their game. And my sweet little daughter wanted to play. And they said, no, you cannot play. And so she took the board. And poof, right? Because that's what we do. I love children. They, they just, they, here's human nature right here. Right? And so, uh, knowing my daughter, she needs a little time to uh, fume. We'll say that. So she goes to her room, and before I come back to work, I went in there, and I sat down with her. 
And we've been through this where this is not the first time something like this has happened. And, and w- without fail, my daughter is a sweetheart. Like she is always willing to eventually come around and see what she's done. But I pulled up a chair and I said, Annabelle, what happened? Well, they, 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 I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this talk is in my mind, right? The problem is not out there. <laughs> right? It's not. Is what they did okay? No. But this is not their problem. And so I said, Where, what, what's going on in your heart? Because literally every time that we have this conversation, we have it a lot. Without fail, eventually tears well up in her eyes. Because she knows. She doesn't want to respond that way. She knows she's not supposed to respond that way. And so today, of all days, when I'm giving this talk, she says, I guess, I guess where's, this, where's your heart in this? What is going on? And she was so honest. I feel like this is like the banner for our world. She said, Dad, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. And I kind of feel like that's where we're at in America today. I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to flip the table over. I'm going to yell at so-and-so. You know, whatever, whatever it is. Because in her humility as a child, she has not figured out the pride side of saying, well, I'm going to hide it. I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen, right? In her humility, she was able to get to a place where she said, I don't know. There's just, but there's something in her as an 11-year-old that says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. My brothers are supposed to be nice to me. They're supposed to honor me. They're supposed to protect me and have fun with me, not reject me. And her sweet little 11-year-old heart knew something isn't right. And so she reacted. And I wonder if, as Christians, we need to start reacting and responding differently. Because if I'm honest, my opinion, this is not Scripture, but my observation is that one of the biggest problems in the Christian church in America today is people who claim to follow Jesus, but they are following their heart. And they mask it as Christianity. And it's a deterrent not only to those who are not believers, but it is disheartening those who are believers. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. Because they're pretending to follow Jesus. But what they're doing is they're following their heart that is deceitful and malicious and selfish and prideful. The problem is in here. It's not out there. So the problem is we live in a broken world, trying to be fixed by broken people. The world says, yeah, they're the problem. Jesus says, no, we're the problem. Our heart is beyond repair. The world says, well, you just go follow your heart. Be better. Be a better version of you. I had a conversation with a friend this afternoon. Uh, He worked at a church, and uh, they had this guy that was told to run the men's ministry. And uh, he didn't really know what he was doing. By what I'm about to tell you, you'll figure it out. He said, he goes, I got a great tagline for our new men's ministry. 
do more better. What? Do more better. That's the world's solution to this problem. Oh, and by the way, do better the way I think you should do better. That's a no win. That's the world. Be better. Be you. You be you, but you be you the way I want you to be you. And so where's our hope? Our hope is in Jesus. The world says, follow your heart. The solution is, Jesus says, follow me. You see, we don't need just some therapy. We don't need just some self-help. We need a heart transplant. The church Global church, big C church, we need a heart transplant. Individuals, we need a heart transplant. We need a new heart. We don't need a pacemaker. We need a new heart. And the great thing about God's word is that it cuts, to, it cuts deep. And it will give us, it will exchange. Ezekiel says, God, give us a heart of flesh and get rid of this heart of stone. Like, this has been a cry of the church forever. David, after, after he cheated on his wife and, and had an affair with Bathsheba, said, Oh, God, give me a pure heart. He knew. It's my heart that's the problem. Give me a new one. And as Christians, we don't just improve ourselves. We die to ourselves. That's what we do. We're called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him, not our heart, not our political party. You follow him. Second Corinthians 5:17. Paul writes, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here." Second Corinthians 4:16. Paul writes, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I told you to turn to Matthew 11. You're like, Andy, are you ever going to get there? I'm going to close with it. This is my, probably one of my top mm, three or four or five verses, scriptures in the entire Bible. It has meant the world to me. And I think in this moment, this is what we need to sink into and marinate in as not just the gathering or crossings or whatever church you go to, but the church, the big C church. Jesus invites us. He says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And this is the only verse in the entire Bible where Jesus tells us what his heart is. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That word souls could also be described as heart. He, he has an inviting heart. And the reason he's an inviting heart is because he is humble and gentle. You've heard me say it before, I grew up in a world where, where, where God, Jesus, was, was ready to smite you and judge you and ridicule you and just get you. Jesus himself, take my yoke upon you. Take my solutions, my way of life. Open the instruction manual for my burden 
is easy. Or my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Because I am gentle and humble in heart. As Christians, the anatomy of a Christian should be gentle and humble in heart. We can accept the invitation of Jesus without fear. Because we know that the heart surgery that he's going to do is going to be gentle and humble. And it's going to be a slow progression over time. He's not just going to destroy you and judge you. Like, there is that part of Jesus. He is the judge. But we have a judge who invites us in and says, hey, before that goes down, before the judgment seat of Christ happens, let me invite you in. And let me offer you redemption. Because he is gentle and humble in heart. So what do we do with this? Well, before I get to my four things, I want to say this. You have to decide what you believe is the actual problem and the actual solution. The world's problem and the world's solution or Jesus' problem and Jesus' solution. You have to choose. Which one are you going to buy hook, line, and sinker and go after it? Guys, this one, the world's problem is broken people trying to fix a broken world. And we're seeing the fruit of that. But the heart of Jesus, one that is gentle and humble in heart, is one whose heart beats for reconciliation. It's a heart that beats for salvation and redemption. That, yeah, you may make a mistake and you may do some things, but you know what? The redemption of the cross is offered to you. And he invites you in. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So for the Christian is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. And in doing so, you will not only find rest for yourself, but you will then be able to offer rest to everyone else. You see, I think in our world, we want an Instagram moment of transformation. But the heart transplant that Jesus Christ offers is daily, it's incremental, and it is slow and steady. We want to change the world tonight and tomorrow and next week. Jesus says, come. Watch me. Learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. It will take time. It's incremental, but it is consistent. So number one, this is what we do. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. And everything you do comes from it. Number two. Ask questions of your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, it is deceitful among all things. Who can understand it? Question your heart. If you have an emotion, if you have a thought, if you have a desire, question it. Your heart is deceitful. Jesus says, come to me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Number three, ask God to search your heart. 
David prays it in Psalm 139. Search me and know me and show me if there's any way in me that is offensive to you. David's a man after God's own heart. He's after God's purposes. He's after God's emotions and he's after God's desires. Are we as the gathering, as the church, after God's desires? Are we after to share the emotion of Christ who had compassion on them? And then lastly, fight for solitude. Because this is where Jesus went to rest. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Because guys, we live in a loud world. Whether it's the news, whether it's your social media feed, whether it's the, the conversations at work, in your friends, in your text messages, whatever you're doing, it is loud and they are all fighting, like we talked about last week, for your mind, and they are fighting for your heart. If Jesus Christ made it a regular routine to fight for solitude, to get away from the noise, and look deep into the heart of God, then if we're actually going to follow Jesus, then let's follow Jesus. Let's get into his word. Let's fight for it. Because everything else is fighting for you. Guys, if we're building a life and wanting to help rebuild the world around us at the same time, then we need to humble ourselves and go to the master craftsman who not only made you, but gave you an instruction manual. Not because he wants to control you, not because he wants to withhold from you, because he wants it to go well for you, because you are his ambassadors as Christians. We represent Jesus. We represent him on social media. We represent him uh, in our friendships, in our dating world. We, we represent him. Do we know what we're representing? Why would we be so arrogant as to think, now nah, I'm gonna do this on my own? I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to leave two scriptures on the screen for 120 seconds. And I want to encourage you as we think about the heart to take these two psalms and personalize them. Like that's what the psalms to me are for. If you don't know what to pray, pray the psalms. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 119, 33. Teach me, Lord, your ways. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart, that I may obey it with my emotions and my thoughts and my desires. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And turn my heart. I love this part, because sometimes I can't do it. God, turn me. Slap me around a little bit. Turn me toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Guys, I think this is the kind of stuff that our world is dying for. This is the hope of the church. We offer a solution that makes no logical sense. Die to yourself. 
follow Jesus, not your heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, for your word. Thank you that you have given us a heart. God, I know we kind of rip on it a little bit, that it's broken it's, and it's, it's deceitful. But God, thank you for giving us a heart that we can experience emotion, that we can have thoughts and desires. But God, turn our desires and turn our thoughts and turn our emotions to be in lockstep with you. Because God, there is nothing in us that will solve this problem. It is only you. The God of the universe who sent his son to reconcile and renew and restore. Jesus, my favorite line that you say is in Revelation 21. When you return, you say, I'm, behold, I'm making all things new. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more tears, for I am making all things new. God, renew us. Give us a new heart.